welcome to the Human Performance Tools Podcast, and thanks for joining your hosts, James Newman and David Christensen, where their mission is to discover how people performing amazing work prevent error and work with high reliability. Each and every podcast episode is sponsored by humanperformancetools.com, where you can explore all things related to managing human error, offering speeches, consultation, coaching, training, assessments, and much more. You can find us at humanperformancetools.com. Well, welcome to the podcast, first uh, Human Performance Tools podcast, where we do our best to try to learn from how you prevent errors in your organization. So um, I'm James. This is my wife, Kristen. Hello. <laughs> and uh, I've today, only for a couple of years. <laughs> today we have Meredith Brody with us. And um, Meredith, could you please introduce yourself? My name is Meredith Brody. I live in Hollywood, Florida, and I am a lifelong sailor. I am the Olympic director for the U.S. Olympic um, sailing team and work at U.S. Sailing. I've worked at U.S. Sailing for over eight years now and joined right before the London Olympic and Paralympic Games. What does an Olympic director uh, do on kind of a daily or weekly basis? Like, what's your mission? Well, every day is a different day. Okay. And it has been for, for nearly eight years, which is one of the reasons why I'm still here. Um, <laughs> I, I really like the, the changes in the day. So even now that I'm not traveling with the athletes, um, I previously did travel to, to some events annually, both internationally and domestically. But um, I work very closely with the athletes, the coaches, the staff, um, as well as the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, and then World Sailing, who's the international federation for the sport uh, globally. So um, just lots of different constituents and um, putting together our plan that we work for on a four-year timeline, which we call a quadrennium, a quad. Okay. Um, and so always, always looking long-term and short-term because we are a multi-quad uh, sport. Sure. Now, do you just focus on summertime uh, or is there a whole different division for the winter games? Uh, how's that Not work? yet. Um, right now, we are strictly a summer sport. Uh, there has been some uh, chit-chat lately about snow kiting being a potential thing down the line, but um, that's more of just um, a conversation, um, but we are a summer only sport. So our next games is next summer in Tokyo. So how did the setback with the games being delayed work for the team and you and, and US Sailing and US Olympic Sailing? Um, how did that affect your job? We had over 20 athletes in Spain um, on an island called Palma de Mallorca when the travel band went into place and we had a world championship that was pending. We were about to nominate our final athletes to go to the games. So it was um, Olympic trials and we had to call everybody back stateside. It took quite some time to get everybody back. And then we had all the equipment to deal with. Um, some of the equipment was on its way to Japan so we had to reroute containers um, from en route to the Olympic venue, back stateside, uh, specifically to California. And um, 
those were very long days and nights because considering the time zone to get everybody back, but everybody got back safely. And then it took a month and a half until they told us that the games were officially postponed. So there was a lot of chit chat and rumor that went on for, for that first month, which was incredibly stressful as our, as our world was trying to figure out what lockdown meant and what quarantining was. Um, And then with the postponement, just the confirmation of it was actually a relief to the athletes that they weren't um, dragging it on and on and on. So we've had a lot of good mental resets since we got the confirmation of the postponement because they knew how much time was left at that point. So really interesting thing that we definitely could have never planned for, but um, you know, that the athletes responded really well, which was encouraging. That's awesome. And then will the team, did the team get named or will you re, we have to name a team closer to when the games will actually happen. Everybody that had confirmed a position uh, kept their position. So that was one of the, um, one thing that was supported by the international Olympic committee, the IOC who runs all the games, both summer and winter Mm -hmm. Um, athletes that received a spot previously, they wanted to uphold their spaces, um, which we were incredibly supportive of. But since there were some trials that hadn't concluded Uh, we had to update our trial system. So during quarantine, we we have a selection committee that helps determine which events the athletes are going to compete in to be named to the Olympic team. And so we have one more event left um, to qualify two more athletes, and that's going to be in March. And so hopefully, you know, we'll see how this winter goes, but the intention is to have our full 15 athlete Olympic team named by March, but everybody else is confirmed. Awesome. Awesome. So it sounds like um, you have to be a whiz at logistics, uh, really, to, to pull off all of this stuff. So I, I want to ask, like, what is the worst thing that can happen? And how do you make sure that doesn't happen? Or what is one of the worst things that can happen? And then how do you make sure it doesn't happen? Well, there are a lot of worst things that could happen. The actual, the ultimate worst thing that could happen with logistics specifically is if um, a shipping container falls off a carrier um, going across the ocean. That has never happened um, to us. And I literally just knocked on my wooden desk because <laughs> um, you can't prevent that from happening. Um, it's out of your control. It, it's yeah. totally out of my control to do that. Um, another thing that as you were saying, like, what's the worst thing that could happen? Another thing that was out of my control um, that happened is we were in Rio right before the Olympic Games, um, and a Paralympic Games container was coming from Europe to Rio, and they said that the box, the container, was on the ship and left Germany and was inbound to Rio, and it was delayed because things get delayed in customs, um, and we were waiting for it. And then after the delay was done, they couldn't find the container. And then it took them quite some time to say they tracked putting it on the ship, but it was actually still in Germany. So um, that is like, that's a cargo shipping freight line um, tracking malfunction that I certainly could not control. Um, So there are some things that we cannot prevent regardless of how many different plans and scenarios do I have as backups, but when things like that happened, we were able to get um, backup equipment for training. And we were very lucky 
that it was for the Paralympic Games, which is later and after the Olympic Games. Um, so, yep, don't, don't want to repeat that one. I'm really hoping that since that's happened, I don't have to do that again because it is incredibly rare. Um, and so hopefully things like that just don't happen. <laughs> so do you use the same shippers that the rest of the Olympic teams from other countries might use? Is that all kind of a, a like a benchmark? We all use the same kind of things. That way, if one's delayed, they're all delayed, or, or is it completely whatever, uh, you know, you've had experience with or, or you, 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 you have to hope a lot? <laughs> <laughs> the, the ports are actually the things that get delayed the most. And so if our container gets delayed, that means that if everybody around the same time would also be delayed. Um, I run, I previously ran um, the Olympic classes regatta, the World Cup series um, in Miami. I was the co-chair for nine years. And this past year we had over 30 containers come in and the, the port was delayed normally they run function with four cranes and they were only functioning with two. And so everything was just coming out of the port at a much drastically slower pace. Um, because we were running the event, we were working with the U S coast guard and they helped us get things out of the port. But most delays are impact everybody in the port. Um, less of the shipper lines where, when and where we can, we do do cost efficiencies and, and share space with other countries. But for the most part, we all kind of make our own plans. I do remember a while ago when you were doing the uh, Miami regatta that there was an issue with permits or something that happened and that you had to troubleshoot that. Um, do you remember when that happened and what the issue was or is it one of many different troubleshootings that happened? Exactly. So there's just, we constantly have to be pivoting and replanning because there are things that pop up like that. So to be honest, that probably happened 15 times in one regatta. Yeah. Um, just because that, that's just kind of how it works. That's, it's Especially when it comes to running events, it's troubleshooting. So um, running that event is a very small part of my job, but it was um, crucial because it was an Olympic qualifier, not just for athletes, but for countries. So for the Olympics, you have to qualify as a country as well. And then you get to have an athlete slot. So um, Miami as a regatta was the, the, on our whole hemisphere, the only Olympic um, event that would, that would do that. Yeah, it was your, your project for years. Yeah. This will be the first January that um, I will not do it, but that's also because I will be having a baby. So it's true. <laughs> but the event will move on. So maybe say bias that the baby be born like around January 15th. So it has the same birthday as Lincoln, but <laughs> oh. I think that would be awesome. So you got a lot of uh, error prevention in front of you too. So <laughs> with uh, a lot of baby error prevention. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, a whole new. Uh, they will get bumps and yeah. So, yeah, we should probably interview a famous parent at some point. I don't know. Um, there's so many things to do when it comes to uh, baby error prevention. Like install um, a baby gate, which I finally just did. First baby gate I ever installed. <laughs> Aren't all parents famous parents though? Because every single one it takes a superhuman to, to do it. So there are oh, yeah. definitely ninja moves that you will gain that you never thought you had. Uh, that is definitely something that I've realized. I have um, been called a ninja before, so I, I'm up for that challenge. All right. I can see that. 
Okay, so we've talked a little bit about things that aren't within your control that could go wrong. What about some things that are, are within your control that perhaps have gone wrong or um, you have to make sure go right and they're like particularly challenging? Uh, uh, and, I, and unfortunately, I don't even have an example to give you because I have no idea what this, this, this work is like. So um, what, are you, what are your thoughts? So things that we can control. Um, so kind of from, so I'm the Olympic director, I'm in management and administration. And then I work with the coaches who are physically on the water with the athletes. And then I work with the athletes. So as I answer this, it's kind of like thinking about all three. Okay. Um, and more specifically, the athletes, the things they can control is their mindset. And so that, that's, that accounts for all of us, actually, as the athletes, the coaches and the management, we we can control how we think about things and how we react to things. Um, we can also control our equipment. So specific to the athletes, um, all the boats are considered one design. So in Olympic sailing, we have 10 different types. Um, we have 10 different disciplines and six different types of Olympic boats. Um, and one of those is, is windsurfing. So not technically a boat, but part of um, sailing and, but, it's all, you can always control your equipment. So, you know, checking, double checking, making sure you have spares, because even if you can control your equipment, you don't know if a gust is gonna come off um, around a bend and break your mast, or if you're gonna get in an altercation um, with another boat and you capsize and you break something. Um, so always having like repairs and having the exact backups you need on the coach boat. So really, really mindset and equipment and part of the equipment that other than just the sailboats is the athlete bodies. So it's so important that when they're not on the water racing and training, that they're in the gym as well, keeping themselves fit because it is a, a highly demanding sport. So do they have like nutritionists and uh, uh, all is all that stuff through you guys as well? Or do they have their own personal um, people that help them? It's a combination. So we have uh, experts on retainer as well as experts that are supported that that are supported by the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. So our nutritionist, um, she's a rock star out of Seattle. She's um, from the USOPC. And then we have um, physio teams and medical teams that are contract with us as a team. Um, we have sports psychologists as well that are both uh, USOPC supported as well as individually supported. So some athletes do, these things are highly individualized and one size does not fit all, especially when it comes to like sports psych. So some of the athletes do opt to pursue their own and that goes for trainers as well. So we've, um, we've got a full slew of people that we work with. Yeah, it's definitely a very, as I know, and James, you don't know, it's a very mental sport. Um, it's a very physical sport, which people don't think. Um, I remember growing up in a sport, they're like, don't you just like hold a drink and like pull a line and sail about on your yacht? And it's not that. It's completely physical and bruises from your legs from hiking and not like mountain hiking but actually controlling the boat with your weight and your movement and and the wind so I can only imagine what at that caliber of competition 
how the athletes like cope with it and also what they do to prepare. Mm-hmm. There's been, we've seen, we've seen everything in the Olympics. If you've watched any sport in the Olympics, you see how their mental health and their stability can, can work towards their performance, either helps their performance or can crumble a performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen both happen to athletes at the games and it's, it's sad to see as a spectator. And when I was working in the sport, but not on your side, but in another capacity, it's hard to see because there's people that you know that are there and you see things going on that you, you want to, you root and you hope, and then different things happen. So I can only imagine in your position that you have, I mean, you've always been so close to all the athletes and have a great professional relationship with them and are well-respected among them. Um, how do you, how does that come about? Like, how do you deal with those type of things that happen when they've been working so hard? How do you handle the successes and how do you handle the athlete's failures? Plus the games are very metal driven. How do you deal with a metal driven organization as well? And you have fundraisers and people that support, um, cause a lot of people don't know that there's not money that gets allocated for this. Some countries have government money, but the U S is not one that does for, for sailing. Um, uh, so how do you deal with those things? I kind of just threw a bunch of questions at you all at once, but yeah, let's see if, um, I'll try to tackle them one at a time and maybe you can help me guide me. <laughs> um, so with successes and failures with the athletes, it's, um, at the end of the day, we all have to be human too. So they are all so driven and determined. We all are, we have to be, um, when you're in a performance culture, you have to be completely determined and, and driven and goal oriented and, um, a bit of a perfectionist to some extent because you're always pushing for, for excellence. Um, so the successes are easy to celebrate um, and you can always appreciate everything that's gone into it. That's the one thing everybody is always very humbled by how much effort it takes to go into things when, when things go right. Um, and so that's, the successes are wonderful. Um, the failures are challenging, but that's when the human element's so important. It's so important to take time, listen, be supportive, um, it's, it's really hard. Every athlete's different from when they have a failure or when they don't meet the mark. Um, and it's that, that human element of recognizing where they're at to kind of meet them there or give them space is, um, it's definitely a learned skill and something that hopefully we'll always continue to work on so we can be better sport systems. But um, the highs and the lows are definitely part of sport, every single type of sport. So you, you take them as they come. Um, in terms of the support, uh, the fiscal support you were referring to, a lot of countries are uh, government funded and in the US, um, we are not. And so we have to do fundraising. Um, the athletes in, in sailing, we call them campaigns. So it's not all sports do call them that, um, but in sailing, we specifically, the athletes have to be campaigning and fundraising for money while they're 
being elite athletes while they're being the best on the, on the water and on shore in the gym and training um, all the time and being mindful of every single step that they, they execute daily. Um, so the, the process of being focused on fundraising is actually a distraction for the athletes, which is why it's so important to have a support system and um, during, during COVID, we've been working on that and hopefully changing the next phase of how we're gonna get um, money uh, to, to our athletes. Uh, yeah, because you did at least one or two or more um, big events as a team. I remember Golden Spinnaker and some other fundraising events that happened over the years. Um, that was obviously can't happen now in COVID because you can't have that many people in one spot. So that must be very challenging. So it, it seems like a lot of it is up to the athletes themselves, which is another, like you said, distraction that they, that could influence different types of behavior and errors. And it looks like James has something to ask. Yeah. Um, so the fundraise money versus the Olympic committee money, it, is it, the same pool of money or is there a set aside? Uh, I see, I have no idea how this works. Like, does our government support the Olympics at all? I, I would think that they would, but I don't know. Uh, the U S government doesn't we, the U S Olympic and Paralympic committee, which is not a government entity, they do support the athletes and what what's called NGBs. So U S sailing is a national national governing body of the sport. So all the sports have a national governing body and the USOPC works very closely with them, with the NGBs. And so they provide funding to, to all the sports so the sports can send a team to the games and for all the training years too. But for that team and the equipment for that team, like a boat, for example, mm -hmm. that has to be fundraised money? Mm -hmm. okay. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And some, some athletes go through four or five boats uh, a quad um, in a four year period they need, um, they d definitely need multiple boats. Um, and we have competitions that are in multiple parts of the globe. And so some boats have, some teams have a domestic boat, a European boat, boats in Japan, um, because instead of waiting for the boats to cross oceans on shipping containers, mm -hmm. they can just uh, take a flight, go to a storage unit and, and get their equipment. So, but um, it's, it's a lot of, personal fundraising. We do have commercial partnerships and sponsorships that support it. And then the, the USOPC. So I, I see the, the, the sailing piece of it, or at least the boats specifically mm -hmm. are much different than like the running sports or even, um, you know, pole vaulting or whatever. Everything is so much different because of the equipment. Mm -hmm. So when you do one design, the way I understand it is that it all has to be exact, right? Your boat is exact as the next team is exact as the next team. Who keeps track of all of those standards? I imagine they must change every four years or maybe every year. I don't even know. But who keeps track of that? Is that part of your role or do the athletes have anything to do with that? You know, like what, what's that part look like? So from a high level, the, the different disciplines, they do change quad over quad. So the types of boats that will be in Japan will not be the same exact types of boats that we will have in Paris in 2024. 
And so that's something that's constantly changing for us as well. There is some overlap. There are some um, boat classes that continue quad over quad, but it does frequently change. And when it comes down to like, one game's um, quadrennium and an athlete discipline, the boats themselves, yes, they're one design, but each class, each different type of boat has a set of rules um, in how much they can weigh and how the angles of the, the bottom of the boat can be um, polished or, or shaved. Um, so there are small things you can do to optimize your equipment, but it's determined by class and it has to follow um, the equipment measurement guidelines. So each athlete is totally in control of their equipment and there are specs for all the different types of boats. And then there are experts who are the international measurers who are at events to do measurement at the very beginning to make sure all the boats are in fact within um, legal range. Sometimes different builders, um, because there's the different classes have different builders. So you can get a boat from Germany or Japan or, and then all the different sales, the sale, there's a lot of different sale designers too. So the measurers are specific to the class and they're the experts with the boats and you have to pass measurement at, before any event. And then they do spot checks during the event because you can, you know, some people, their boats are underweight because of the way they've been um, polished or something. And so they have to add weight to them. So they're, they're equal playing field. So there's, um, there's definitely a lot of pieces to it, but it's just another piece that the athletes have to be in charge of. Oh. I only get involved when there's a problem, which is rare. Well, like, all right, so that's what I was kind of getting at. So let's say there's a drastic difference in weight or something like that, that just adding a weight or, or, or trying to take something off or whatever. Um, is it, I, I mean, it seems like it would be a drastic, uh, how much time before this international measuring in the actual event do you have time to, to actually uh, uh, resolve some things or is it, is it really, really tight? Sometimes it's overnight. So at the beginning of the regatta, you check in for measurement and you have, depending on where your measurement slot is, because everybody arrives to the events um, a week before um, and then registrations a couple days before and then the actual competition starts. And so a measurer could find something wrong and say, okay, you got to come back tomorrow at X time and I'm going to weigh your boat again. So you have that time slot and it's up to the measurer to determine how long you have to do what you need to do. And the same thing happens with um, equipment failure or um, things that go wrong on the water. If you break a mast, so the part that holds the sail up, um, you have to check in with a measurer to replace the mass to make sure that it's not tapered in a certain way or going to give you um, an advantage. So sometimes they do it on the water. Sometimes when you come in, you have to go straight to an office. There's a lot of officials and support. Um, they're all volunteers who, who manage that at all the different international events. And it has, all the equipment has to get signed off on to make sure that it is fair because you can imagine with different builders around the world and different sail designers and there's so many different pieces of equipment on each individual boat 
it definitely has to be monitored. Right. So it stays fair. Exactly. Okay. So I have, this is just a purely uh, curiosity. Once it's measured and, and accepted, like this is a good boat, this is the good sale, all that stuff. Is there some like quarantine environment that these boats go to so nobody can mess with them? Not until the very end of the regatta. So um, something about sailing is the racing is sometimes longer than five days. Sometimes there's seven days of racing. And so you do have to go to a specific area. You can't just like be tucked away behind a container. You have to be amongst the other athletes. And they do map out the boat parks on where all the different classes go. So, um, and everybody's kind of keeping an eye on everybody else. And that's why the measurer has to do spot checks throughout the event. And then at the very end of the event, um, we have something called the medal race where the top 10 boats, even if there's a hundred boats in one fleet, the top 10 race for the medal and it's a double point race. And so there is a quarantine for that. And there's an international measurer who checks all the boats and the boats cannot move until they go to the race course because that is the medal deciding event. Okay, the rest of it's almost like qualifying heats for that event. Yep, um, it's called fleet racing. So you have a cumulative score of races and then it gets whittled down to the top 10. And that might change for the Paris Olympics, but for the Rio Olympics and for the Tokyo Olympics, that's how um, the final medals are chosen. It's interesting that it might change. Also, James, something else you might know is that it's not guaranteed that the boats that have been in an Olympics will go into the next Olympics. Yeah. Um, we'll have different classes in, in Paris. So that's something, um, it's crazy sometimes to think that you are this type of sailor and then your boat has been in the Olympics for a long time and then mm -hmm. get up to qualify and they decide, nope, that boat's not going in this year. And part of that is um, part of the transition from the Tokyo Games to the Paris Games from 2020 to 2024 is um, gender equity. And so right now we have more males uh, represented um, than females, but the types of boats are going to shift. And in Paris, we're going to have um, gender balance in terms of the different types of boats. We're also going to have more mixed classes. So sailing's really unique because... There's only a few sports, like ice dancing, right. where you have a male and a female who compete together. But for sailing, we currently only have one mixed class. It's called the NACRA 17, which is a foiling catamaran that lifts out of the water um, and is an incredible um, boat. And this is the first games that it's going to be foiling at. Um, it was in the Rio Olympics, but it was um, it didn't have the foils, so this is going to be the introduction to foiling at the games um, in Tokyo. But that's a mixed gender class. And in Paris, we're currently looking at four different disciplines that are gonna have mixed gender. So lots of, um, of two-person teams, um, one male, one female, wow. which is really very unique to our sport. And this is not just for the US, right? This is for everybody has the... Correct. Oh, that is a big change, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, what else was I going to ask you? Sports psychology is going to become really important for the next quad. Yeah. yeah. Um, Paralympics. Uh, yeah. It was, was in Rio? Yep. 
but not in Tokyo. Correct. So the Paralympic Games uh, is typically a three-discipline event. It was in the, the Rio 2016 Games. Um, we won a bronze. And we are going to be in, we are not going to be in Tokyo. We are not going to be in Paris. We are hoping that the work that we're doing now is going to allow us to be in the games in LA. So this is also the first time where we have this much line of sight to two quads down the road. So they typically don't pick the next, the next games um, until after the conclusion of the games. And now we have the two games lined up. We know Paris is 2024 and LA is 2028. So it's an awesome opportunity for the US to host the Olympics in 2028. And, um, and we're, we're hoping that the Paralympics are back in sailing. How does that affect your job? Like, will you be involved in that in LA in 2028? Yep, so when I joined the team in Rio, I'm sorry, when I joined the team before London, actually behind me, you can see the, that's the Paralympic team and that's the Olympic team um, from the London games. And then the, we were in Rio, uh, Olympics and Paralympics and not for now, but I interact with, with both teams. And we, we have a head coach, um, who manages the Paralympics. Uh, Betsy Allison, who is in Sailing Hall of Fame um, and has lots of accolades to her name. She is also part of World Sailing and the International uh, Paralympic Committee support to try to get sailing back in. So um, we, we all work together on it. But yeah, I, I went to both the Paralympics in London and Rio. Betsy's a powerhouse and everyone can... can be the powerhouse to champion that cause, Betsy's a good person to have on your side. Yep. Definitely. Uh, all right. So uh, one of the things that, uh, at least in the human organizational performance world, is uh, uh, communication. Right? It's a huge, uh, that, that and actually reinforcing desired behavior. So anything we can do to improve communication. So I wanted to ask you, um, you're, you're kind of unique. And at the same time, I've seen other organizations like this, but I feel like, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, your organization is all over the place physically. Uh, how, and, and I don't imagine COVID has upset that too much in regards to how often you talk to each other and how you talk to each other. How do you all stay on the same page so much? I mean, is it constant meetings, emails, phone calls? What does that world look like? Mm -hmm. Well, COVID actually was fairly helpful with communication because everybody was quarantined and we had Zoom meetings on Zoom meetings mm -hmm. and we were able to kind of shift some of our team culture a little bit and really dig into some topics that we hadn't as a team um, for quite some time. So it provided a, a great opportunity for us to connect and dig deeper and get some expert advice from, um, from professionals who we have, we have a lot of sailors in the U.S. who are incredibly talented who hadn't interacted with the team. Um, and so we had the opportunity to connect digitally with them. So since COVID, it's actually been harder to communicate because now everybody's back on the water training. So right now I have athletes in five time zones. Um, and right now only on two continents, but uh, in five time zones. Um, so 
because the boats are so different and the disciplines are so different, we do train separately for the vast majority of the time. We have, um, there's only a few times a year where we're in the same place. And so communication is a challenge, but we are, thank goodness for the digital world because we have a team app that we can send out notifications. And if any athlete needs to contact another athlete and they don't have their phone number, everything's embedded into the app. Um, all of our resource pages, I make the joke where eight years ago, athletes would call me at one o'clock in the morning asking for the address of our storage unit in um, Barcelona, Spain. And they don't have to do that anymore because it's all a couple clicks away on their team app. Um, so having the resources available for them to access, but sometimes you got to remember them where they, where the resources are. Um, but I scheduling team meetings in five different time zones is a challenge, but we try to give the athletes the opportunity to, we, we pull them a lot to say when, when is good because people are moving. Um, not as much right now with the travel bans, but time zones are constantly shifting. Um, because of all the border controls, I would have an athlete in Germany and say, okay, I'm going to Italy tomorrow. And then all of a sudden they were in Portugal because they had an issue getting in Italy. And so they went to go train with um, training partners in another country. So um, there it's, it's a moving Tetris game. <laughs> Well, now, can you uh, share with us a story about something that went really, really sideways and how you were able to cope with it? Getting everybody back from Palma was really challenging. Um, another one is in our first trip to Japan in preparation for the Tokyo Olympics, so as a sport, it's so incredibly important for us to be on the field of play because we're not a soccer team where you show up and you play on grass, not to underestimate what it takes to manage a soccer field, but um, every single geographic location is so different. And the way the wind funnels around the geography and the depths of the water impacts the currents. There's just so many things that change the elements of the race course. Sure. And so, Sailing is really important to go and test out the race course. And the other thing is weather windows. So the consistency of weather windows. And um, for, for Japan, in uh, the summertime, it's uh, tsunami season. I'm sorry, not tsunami season. It's typhoon season. Japan, in the summertime, it's typhoon season. And we were at a competition in one part of Japan, and a typhoon was coming, and we had to pull an audible and cross Japan to go to a different part. Um, and as we were boarding trains, they were shutting down train lines and it was all of our first time there um, as a team and literally running through train stations with equipment, not with sailboats, but with um, weather equipment or athlete lines and toolboxes. And um, we certainly were the Americans, like with all of our stuff on the train, which um, is not great etiquette in Japan, but we were certainly outrunning a typhoon. So um, it's, it's definitely, you know, there's some exciting times for sure. Um, and things, things get, hello, little one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, so I had another, uh, thank you for that story. I love that. Um, uh, I, I'm trying to think of another one, but, um, you what? know, nothing like running from a typhoon. Right. I mean, that's a great story. Um, I have this, this suspicion that this has already all been sorted out. So I want to ask you a question I've always been curious about. How come the Olympics doesn't allow, or maybe they do, a sports company to, uh, to sponsor um, like whether it's the equipment or whether it's the, um, the, the, what they're wearing, you know, the clothing and all that stuff. Do they do allow that? Oh, they, they, okay. Well, so it's, um, it's different depending on the sport. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not required by all the countries to do it unless it's the equipment. So in sailing, we do have some provided equipment. So the laser hulls, one type of boat, is always supplied at the Olympic Games. So the boat that they give you is the boat that you're going to use. Um, and you get to bring your sails and your lines, but the physical hull that you're sitting in is um, provided. Um, but that's unique to that class. Uh, we previously had provided equipment in the windsurfer. Um, and so that, that one design... Uh, provided equipment is the physical boat equipment. But when it comes to the performance gear and the clothing, that is mostly dependent by country. So for, for Team USA, uh, we're sponsored by, by Nike. Um, we as sailors don't wear the Nike clothing on the water, but we do get outfitted for onshore apparel by both Nike and Ralph Lauren. And that's part of Team USA's kit. But some sports the performance gear, physical clothing is provided by a, a corporate sponsor. Um, so whether it's the track suit or the soccer um, uniforms, uh, that is provided by, um, or the bathing suits, you know, some of the technology, there's been some really cool technology with some of the suits in past games. Um, that is provided by different sponsors, but for sailing specifically, what they physically wear we do have some sponsors, but they're not allowed to get the, um, there's a blackout period in terms of marketing. So unless things are very cleared by the International Olympic Committee or the different National Olympic Committees, you can't have branding. Everything actually has to get covered up. Yeah, that's why, I, I, that's why I'm uh, in, in, not in the know in, in this stuff. Uh, so you're saying when they actually compete, that's non-logoed apparel? Mm -hmm. and, and anytime they're not competing, they can wear the, uh, the logo apparel. Is that anytime in the boat park? So it's not just on the water, it's on shore as well. Um, you can have a manufacturer mark, which is quite small. Um, but you can't have anything large. Um, you can't have there and there's dim dimensions for absolutely everything. There are more rules and uh, things that you have to make sure, uh, everything falls within. Yeah, exactly. And we also have to, um, carry around coverage um, pieces too. So there's some pieces of equipment where it's just standard for um, Kristen was mentioning earlier what hiking is. And so as an athlete sits on the side of a boat to try to balance the boat, because, you know, an old adage that we learn in youth sailing is a flat boat is a fast boat. And that doesn't um, pertain to all types of boats, but um, 
when you're to get it flat, you have to hike. So your feet are inside the boat, but the rest of your body is leaning over the water. And so you're leveraging the boat to, to keep it flat. And there's some equipment where like the whole thigh could be exposed showing like a big brand name. And so we have to bring tape. We have to bring like lots of Sharpies, but there's all sorts of wetsuit paint that we have as well, because some things are just, yes, it's the manufacturer mark, but it's much, much larger than, um, and you're allowed to have it. Yeah, exactly. And the sales, can the sales be branded? They practice sales can, but not the ones that they compete in the games, right? Correct. And um, part of the games branding, they they require the marks. And so um, they the Olympic Committee provides the colors and the stickers. And um, it's actually one of my favorite parts about the games is the full quad leading up, all the athletes have different sale numbers. So you have a number that's uniquely identified to you and your boat and your um, team. Um, but at the Olympic Games itself, uh, all those numbers go away and you only have the flags of the countries. So all the numbers drop and it's just the stars and stripes above the athletes. Oh, very cool. Let's see. Lincoln, do you have any questions? <laughs> you know, maybe you'll see her in a couple weeks when we go down to Florida. Someone's birthday is at the end of the month. <laughs> I remember things. Thanksgiving, baby. Yep. All right. Well, uh, we've gone through a lot of the uh, the pre-planned questions that we've had. Uh, uh, I'm gonna ask, oh, probably this is gonna be a, a final question here. Um, if you were to say that something that you do is critical, like if it didn't get done properly, um, a lot of bad things can happen. What's an example of that? And then what is your secret to making sure that that works? Mm -hmm. There are just so many parts to the machine. Gosh, that's a hard one. Is it like a, you're, you're a domino in the, in the chain? Like if your domino doesn't fall right, then a whole bunch of stuff goes wrong? Yes, but at the same time, I always feel like there's a way to pick up another domino. So one of, one of the parts to it is, I said at the beginning how much I like learning and how I'm constantly learning um, and things really aren't as consistent in the sport world because there's just so many variables. Um, and in our sport specifically, there are so many components you have to think about, um, whether it's the weather forecast for the day or an impending typhoon um, yeah. <laughs> and things get canceled. And so even if you think you're gonna race for five days or seven days, there might be no wind and, or there might be too much wind. Um, so there's, we just constantly have to be ebbing and flowing. Um, the critical stuff is trying to control the things you can control. Um, so unfortunately, when things like container challenges go wrong, you, you kind of have to, we always try to build in a couple extra weeks at the front. So even if the athletes are there waiting for their equipment because they were delayed, at least the competition's not starting yet. So it's kind of, the planning element is exhaustive. Um, because there's just so many pieces to it. Um, it it's a very large machine to, to keep it running. So I really can't pinpoint something. Okay. 
pure recollection, has there ever been a time where we couldn't compete because we didn't have what we needed because of something failed? If it's hard to think of, that's a good thing. <laughs> I once had a Paralympic athlete's legs, so their prosthetics get stuck in customs. Um, that was a challenge, but... We... That sounds like a very unique story. Wow. <laughs> so it's nothing like um, getting a, a phone call and, and trying to get legs out of customs, um, <laughs> prosthetic legs out of customs, but we were still able to compete um, because the it is a community at the end of the day. So, you know, there, there's a story from an Olympics um, probably four ago where a team that was in contention um, for a medal broke equipment and another team gave them their equipment because they were out of contention. And wow. so the sport world, there's so much support and respect with one another. Um, and so especially if, if you can't, if you're not going to be able to get there, everybody kind of helps out to, to get there, um, to get the person to be able to compete. Wow. Um, because it, you're working towards these goals for, for your whole life. Our, our athletes' age ranges are from 19 to 42 at this Games, potentially wow. as young as 19 um, to as old as 42. And so some have been committed for more than half their life um, for these goals, and they think about it every single day. So you really just want to help each other get there. Yeah, and it's devastating if, if a piece of equipment, for example, is the thing that's preventing you from Exactly. Or an injury. The, the injury component is, is incredibly high, um, which is why it's so important to do the physical work on the, on the land as well. So I guess I do have one more question. The, um, the training, everybody, at least everybody I can think of that I know I've ever talked to about Olympics, we know that the training for the athletes is enormous and it's a part of their daily routine for their whole life, especially while they're training for the games. Um, what about the training for everybody else in this organization? Like, um, what kind of training uh, do you go to, to uh, like perhaps for emotional intelligence or, or uh, that kind of stuff? So who determines that? Or is it, hey, we have some professional development training. I would let you, like, you get to pick, like say, hey, I think we should do this. How does that work? So training is important for all levels, and it's actually something that's part of our uh, strategic plan for 2021 to 2024 is to do more coach training um, and specific uh, innovation in coach training because we want to upskill our coaches so they know and understand some of the different uh, technology uh, equipment pieces that they can use to be more efficient with their coaching and training. You know, there's, there's so many things we can't use during competition, but because it's not allowed while they're actively racing, but in training different sensors or uh, the drone footage to look at sail shape, um, aerial views are, are incredible. And so we want to bring that down to the, the, not the Olympic, it's already part of the Olympic world. So we want to bring it to the, the, the phase of coaching that's just beneath okay. um, that. So high performance coaches, but not Olympic coaches yet, people who are aspiring to be Olympic coaches. Yeah. So we want to continue to upskill our coaches um, with that. And it's something that we've just committed to as a strategic initiative um, for the next couple of years. And then when it comes to people 
in my position, I'm grateful for support of the US Olympic and Paralympic Committee. I've um, had the opportunity to do a leadership course with them, with, with people from other sports. Uh, and so learning um, the management and the tools that people use from sport to sport has been really helpful. Um, that was a six month course that I did wow. in Colorado Springs. Um, I was doing my standard job at the same time, but it was um, extensive professional development that was really helpful. And um, so between the coaches and the management side, there is, there is the opportunity to continue to learn, which keeps it fun. Heck yeah, yeah, that's, uh, uh, that's pretty remarkable. So, well, Kristen has had to uh, go and uh, handle the baby. So uh, I think I might be uh, saying so long. Uh, You're up next. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. Well, oh my gosh, it's been such a pleasure learning a little bit about what you do and, uh, and how you guys are, uh, stay successful at it. And uh, thank you for sharing some of your uh, personal stories and uh, uh, teaching us and anybody listening to the podcast a little bit more about uh, how you guys remain uh, error free. So we do our very best with all the things that come at us. So, um, but that's what keeps it fun. So thanks for, thanks for the opportunity and um, really appreciate it. Absolutely. And, and I want to share something that uh, I feel like we're really learning doing these podcasts. Um, there's a, a, a phrase that, that David taught me and it's uh, it's called requisite variety. Requisite and variety. Yeah. It, it's not one that people talk about a lot, but it's totally worth knowing. And what it's doing is um, requisite variety is um, how adaptable you are given the situation. So it's best described in chess moves mm -hmm. where uh, if you're getting ready uh, to, to play a chess game and you already have a plan, if somebody moves their, their knight this way, you already have a plan for it. And if somebody moves their pawn this way, and now they have this, you know, so they've moved four moves, but you've had a plan for every move. That's how, you, how you're adaptable. That's the requisite variety. And if you want to uh, share a cool term, I mean, I learned quadrinium from you today, so I'm sharing requisite variety with you. That's a fun one, too. Uh, uh, I just learned a term a couple of months ago. I'm so happy uh, uh, David brought it into uh, my sphere of learning. So, uh, 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 I'm more than happy to share. It's just how adaptable an organization is. And that really seems like high performing organizations are really good at that. Mm -hmm. So uh, It's crucial. Actually, as you say that, it reminds me of um, the time we were in Rio because getting things done um, in Brazil are very, very different than a lot of places around the world. And I would say I always had a plan A through E or A through Q because you had to know where the pawn was going to move next yeah. um, because there's, there was just so many, there was a lot of room for, for challenge or change of course needed. So that requisite variety is kind of like our MO. So I'm really grateful to put a, a phrase to it. Sure. Sure. Love it. Meredith is an absolute pleasure. It was a pleasure. Thank you both. Um, really appreciate it. And let me know if you need anything else. All right. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Take it easy. All right. Good night. Thank you for listening and learning with us. If you would like to hear more, click like and subscribe. James and David would like to thank their guest, you the listener, and their sponsor, humanperformancetools.com. 
Please check them out for all your error management needs. More exciting episodes coming soon. Remember to use human performance tools when it matters the most.